that he loves you. Thankful that he cares about you. Thankful that he's mindful of us. Thankful that he knows where we are at all times. Can you imagine being in the service of a God who you weren't sure about? Nobody wants to be in a relationship with somebody else when you feel more strongly about them than you think they feel about you. You don't want to be in a relationship with someone you're not sure about. If I'm going to be hooked up with somebody, I need to know how they feel about this deal. And I'm, I'm confident today in my marriage because I know my wife just thinks I'm the greatest thing since peanut butter. I know she feels that way. I can see it in her eyes. She knows I feel that way about her. And there's a lot of peace here because I know where she stands and she knows where I stand. And I would take on any challenge life has to throw at me today because I know my wife would be right there beside me. Whatever I go home this weekend, from this weekend, and tell her, Jennifer, the Lord said we're going to do X, Y, Z. She'll say, okay, just tell me when to get started. If I told her we were selling our house and moving, she may not like it, but she wouldn't fight it. And I'll take on any challenge I think that the world or life could throw at me because I've got her and I'm sure of her. By the same token, there's no thing that I would not embark on with God because I'm sure of him. I I couldn't get on one plane if I wasn't sure of him. I I wouldn't fly, Brother Bray, I wouldn't go 20 yards down a runway in a plane if I wasn't sure about Jesus. You you get on a plane, honey, you, you got to have some faith in that dude in the cockpit. You, you don't know if he really knows how to fly that thing. You talk about trust. You trust in somebody. I don't care what little uniform he walked up in there in. He may be a pretender for all I know. you got to trust somebody in this world. I don't trust anybody. You trust that guy driving at you on a two-lane highway. So why not trust God? Why not just throw it all aside and say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm not going to wait and see how this thing pans out or that thing pans out. I'm just going to jump up in the middle of this deal and give it everything I've got. I'm going to win souls like there is no tomorrow because there might not be. I'm going to worship like you are right here beside me because that's what I believe about you not going to worship because of what you've done or what you might do. I'm going to worship because of who you are and who you've always been and who you will always be. I'm not here for the fishes and the loaves. Those are the side benefits. I'm here because of Him. I'm here because of eternal life. I'm here because I love Him. But mostly I'm here because He loves me. If he didn't, and he had not, this wouldn't be an option. We've only got options because of him. We go on a trip or something, and you pass different hotels along the way, and I'll say, no, we're not staying there. we got options. And as long as I've got options, I'm going to exercise them. If I don't have to stay in that I'm going to stay over here in that one. 
I, I, I don't want to stay in one where the bed's on the floor and there's holes in the walls. And I've stayed in hotels, churches put me in them and there'd be mold growing on the shower wall and all of that. And I stayed there because that, I didn't want to disrespect them. But if it's me doing the choosing, I got options. And I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm not embarrassed of it, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to utilize my options. I don't have to be afraid. I've got an option. I don't have to be intimidated. I've got an option. I don't have to be insecure. I've got an option. I've got another choice in this deal. I don't have to feel like the low man on the totem pole. I've got an option in this thing. That option is I can come to church, and I can just muddle along here and just give medium amounts of energy and medium amounts or minuscule amounts of effort or I can exercise my options because I know that none of this is going to be in vain. I, I have come to the conclusion that we we minimize our response to God because we're not sure of His response to us. If we really believed He was what He is, Brother Barr, if we really believed He's the Alpha and the Omega, if we really believed he's the beginning and the ending, if we really believed he's the author and the finisher of our faith, if we really believed he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, the bride and the morning star, if we really believed all of that about him, I wonder just what my behavior would look like. My behavior does not change his identity. It reveals what I consider his identity to be. If I think he's a mediocre God, then I'm going to give him mediocre praise. If I think he's a mediocre God, I'm going to pray in a mediocre condition. But when I realize that he is what he is, and I'm convinced of that, my passion becomes unstoppable. You're only passionate about what you believe in. And if we, and, and here's, here's the argument. Well, I believe God's going to see us through. No, we don't. If we're not acting like he's going to see us through, we don't believe he's going to. Faith without works is dead. I cannot say Antioch's greatest days are ahead of us if I don't act like it before tomorrow gets here. I've got to change my behavior to reflect what I truly believe about him. You've heard the statement, I know you have, dress like you want to feel or you'll feel like you dress. You feel trashy, you'll dress that way if you're not careful. You feel depressed, you'll wear your pajamas all day long if you ain't careful. You mad at your husband, you'll dress in something you know he don't like just because he don't like it. You mad at your wife, you won't brush your teeth and put on deodorant because you know. You're trying to keep her away from you. She all up on your nerve, just bothering you. But when you're trying to woo her, it don't matter if she's told you she loves you in the last 30 minutes or not. When you feel a certain way about your wife. It don't matter if she's fixed your favorite meal lately or not. When you love her. That one little long haired fella sang that song about when a man loves a woman. He'll give up everything he owns for her. I wish somebody would help me a minute. I'm trying to warm us up here. When, when we love him, we'll give up everything we own for him. When we love him, we wouldn't give $2 bills in the offering when there's a 10 right beside them. When we love and trust him, we wouldn't sit quietly and meekly in our pew 
hoping that something will finally break loose. No, my love for God has nothing to do with you. I don't care whether you act like you love him or not. I'm going to because he's been good to me and it hadn't been so long ago that I can't remember God digging me out of a pit. I'm convinced that some of us are so long time saved, we can't remember where God brought us from. I think some of us have been saved too long. We've been saved so long, we think we were born this way. We don't remember when we were foul-mouthed and cussed all the time. We don't remember when we were one step away from being a drug addict or a wino or a pill popper. We don't remember when we were running around like wild dogs in the street laying down with everything that would lay down with us. But ever now, and I believe in walking away from your past. And I, I believe you don't need to just roll around in it every day. But I think every now and then a little cursory look in the rear view mirror, if nothing else will motivate you, you need to remember if it had not been for the love of God, if it had not been for the goodness of Jesus, if it had not been for the name that went into that pit and pulled me out of it, I'd still be back there. You don't know what he brought me from. You don't know how low I went. You don't know. And I'm not here because of you. I'm here because of him. And I'm going to be here tomorrow, Brother Barr, because he's not going to give me a reason to fall out of love with him. Our history together, mine and his, vindicates the scripture that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 34 years ago today at about 2.30 in the afternoon, my left leg was tied up in that trot line and I'd been underwater for over 15 minutes. 34 years ago today. 34 years from today, should the Lord tarry and I'm still sucking air, I'm going to be right here in the kingdom doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Because he's been good to me. And whether he does another physical miracle for me or not, he has saved my soul from an eternally burning hell. And I, and I, 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 I mean, I, I love you. But I'll guarantee you there ain't a half a dozen of us this morning that have behaved like we should have. Y'all sit out there and just stare at me like a mule looking at a new gate. It ain't going to bother me none. I preached to debtor churches in this before. And I can do it again. I can do it all day. But how many of us could get up right now, get our junk and go to the house and be comfortable in the knowledge that I went to church this morning and gave it 110%? Not, not, not a half a dozen of us. And I'm not trying to get you to run the aisles or jump up and down or flip and do cartwheels and talk in tongues for an hour and a half. I'm just trying to get you to a point of revelation and realization that have I acted toward him like I expect him to act to me? Have I sang as hard as I could sing or did I leave it to the praise singers? Well, the praise singers seemed a little tight this morning and they did seem a little tight this morning. But if I was working with this crowd, I'd be tight too. 
They're not supposed to sing to you. They're supposed to sing with you. And this is not, just quit playing. This, this ain't no concert. I love you and you're sweet and all that, but just hang on. Just sit down up here somewhere close. I may need some melodious assistance in a minute, but right now, we're going to free will this deal. This isn't a concert for us. And I'm going to tell you, there's a spirit of expectation in here on Sunday mornings. Oh, be careful. I done throwed the hook out there and some of y'all swallowed it right down to the tail. You, you, the expectation is, well, it's just another dead Sunday morning at Arnold. Brother, shelter. You're the very one that feels that way. You four better amen some junk today. Now, I ain't up here by myself. I know you do, brother. You three better tighten up. Am I telling the truth? There is a mindset and a mentality in this sanctuary and on this hill every Sunday morning. Oh, God. Can I get a brave witness in this building? Well, why don't you do something about it? Quit waiting on the men of God and the singers and the musicians to come in here and change this thing. You change it. If you're not happy about the atmosphere in here, get off of your rear end, get out in the aisle, and start behaving like an apostolic. I don't know if I like this guy. I'll be gone tomorrow. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not doing this halfway. You hear what I'm telling you? I ain't going to preach halfway. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to play like. If this ain't real, I'm going to go find what he is. Y'all, some of y'all waiting on me to tell you you can be seated. I ain't telling you. You want to sit down, sit down. That's your business. We get used to being programmed in the church. We want to be told when to stand. We want to be told when. And I think that's part of the problem. We in the apostolic ranks have, have gotten to the place that we are so program oriented. We tell people, okay, it's time to stand and give an offering. You know what? We ought to be so happy about being sanctified that when we walk in here, we are dancing and shouting and we giving an offering. We just coming up throwing money on the altar all through service because I still remember where God brought me from. And if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be in this building today. I wouldn't be driving up in this parking lot. I wouldn't be raising my family in the house of God. We used to sing a song, and looking back, I wish we'd never sang it. It sounds good. It's pretty. It was one of my little favorite songs. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And we have, we have indoctrinated ourselves with a belief that God gets better. He don't. God has no potential. Oh, God's getting better to be. I want more of Jesus. I want more of him. You ain't going to get no more of him. You got all there is. His spirit. He gave us himself. If the same spirit which raised up Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal body, the same spirit, the same spirit that walked on water, the same spirit that raised the dead, Greater works than this shall ye also do. There's no potential in him. He has no potential. But the potential is in us that we reveal more of him as we walk with him. 
But the problem with us is we've learned how to cop out on this deal. We're waiting on God to get better. Oh, God will just get better. I'll, I'll do more. He ain't getting any better, baby. You got all you're going to get. The earth waits in earnest expectation. It groans, waiting on a manifestation of the sons of God. A revealing of the sons of God. How are the sons of God going to be revealed? By the activity of the Holy Ghost in them and through them. I'm going to just tell you something. If we're not laying hands on the sick, we're no different than the church down the street. If we're not taking dominion and authority over infirmity and disease and curing the disease, we're no different than every other Christian church in town. If we don't pray more than some now I lay me down to sleep prayer, we're no different than every other Christian church in town. If there's no intercession in our churches, we're no different than anybody else. And I'm going to tell you what's happened to us. We've allowed our attempt and need for sophistication in trendy ways to suck the life and anointing out of us. We want to have all of our catchy little programs and our catchy little this and our trendy little comments and hashtag this and hashtag that. Trash can all of that and find an altar. There will always have to be an altar between this world and His. And the only way we're ever going to access the things of the Spirit is through an altar. I have, I have traveled. I have traveled. We, I have traveled. And it's hard sometimes not to get real discouraged. It's, it is, it is excruciatingly brutal sometimes to step in pulpits after what I have to endure before my turn gets there. And there are times that my, I get discouraged. I, I, I wonder, Lord, I know what you said in your word you're going to do. I, I understand that and I believe that. But I, I mean, unless you got something else going on that I don't know about what we working with, I don't know how we're going to get all this done. And it's the spirit that is driving the apostolic church to be more and more and more like everybody else. Well, they're doing this. Well, they're doing that. Well, they've got this program. And now we're going to these conferences where non-believers are trying to tell us how to have church. We're going to go to somewhere where some Trinitarian that doesn't even believe in the mighty God in Christ is going to try to tell us how our worship ought to be. We're getting every worship song we sing we get from them. And because we don't put a different anointing on it, it sends the same message to us that it does to them. That's why it's important that worshipers and praise singers and and musicians have a prayer life and a walk with God that's more important to them than playing and singing. Because if we do sing a song that some unbeliever wrote, which is okay, and we don't put an anointing with it when we sing it, we're not releasing into the people what God wants released into the people. Is this all right? And I've watched it, Brother Barr, all over the country, and it's, it's like we have this, we have become addicted as apostolics to being like everybody else. 
Well, Brother Shelton, I just don't believe that. Well, you can live in a small, sequestered little world with your head in the sand if you want to. That's your business. But I've been out there and looked at it, and I've seen it firsthand, and it's everywhere. There is a spiritual attack against the church, trying to get us to be willing to go through the motions and patty cake for Jesus and go home and think, well, we had a good day today. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful day we had. In the, and we're so guest conscious. And if you're a guest, we love you. We're glad you're here. But not for the reasons you might think. We're glad you're here because you have a chance to miss hell this morning and find God in an extremely personal way by baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And without that, you're not going to make it out of here on that great getting up morning. But we're so guest conscious that God is, is no longer as welcomed in our services as, and there, there are services now. It's not His. What would happen? What would our churches look like? What would our services look like if we came and waited on God until He said, sing this song? Sing it three and a half times and shut it down and I'm going to do 15 miracles. What would our church services look like if God didn't give us room or if we decided not to take the advantage and exercise our prerogative and do all of our little programs, but we actually came to church and waited on God. We prayed before church until the rafters were shattered and we prayed before church until our guests were so under conviction that as soon as somebody would talk to them in English, they would find God and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why are we doing it the way we're doing it? It isn't working. I got a text from Pastor Wright that said, do what you want to do today. But I'm not. I'm going to do what he says. And I'm going to do what the Lord wants done, and I'm going to say what the Lord wants said. This world don't care about our programs. This world don't care about our Pentecostalism. This world doesn't care about all of the stuff that we're impressed with. What they care about is, do you know where I can get off this dope? Do you know how I can get off of this pornography addiction? Do you know how I can get off the alcohol? Do you know how I can quit smoking? Do you know how I can quit dipping and chewing? Do you know how I can quit being a fornicator and adulterator? Do you know how I can stay out of the casino? Do you know where I can find help for the mess I'm in? That's all they want to know. They're not impressed with all the junk we do. Yet we've become addicted to all the junk we do. And we don't care about what they need like we should care. We make, think about it, we all oh, we care about the loss. Then why do we make them wait for two and a half hours before they have a chance to repent? Why do we make them sit through an hour and a half to two hour long church service before we give them a chance to have an encounter with God? Why aren't we getting out of our seats and going to them during worship and saying, Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. Is there anything I can pray with you about? Do you have a need? I'll stand right here beside you and pray with you. Won't make a scene out of it. Do you understand what's going on? Do you have a question about what's going on? And if you believed that, you'd have said amen, and more than those standing would have been standing by now. There was a day some of you would never have allowed a sinner to walk in here, some lost person to walk in here and sit through a church service and never get a chance to repent. We would never have put up with that at one point. And it was about six hours after God saved us. 
we are not going to win this war. God's going to win his part of it. But we are not going to win in our area of responsibilities if we don't start acting like we really do believe he is the mighty God in Christ. If we don't start acting like we really believe, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. If we really believed it, how many of us can tell somebody that using just the Bible? If we really believe He is the one true and living God, can we prove it in Scripture? And how many times a week do we tell somebody, God is here, God is near, God is right beside you trying to help you. Let me tell you who He is. We can say all we want to about what we believe. But if my behavior indicates otherwise, then what I'm saying is a lie. What I know and what I believe are not always the same thing. I know what speed limit is. I don't necessarily believe that it ought to be that. And you don't either, because some of y'all got, I hadn't had a ticket in 25 years. Some of y'all have had them in the last 25 minutes. We don't believe the speed limit ought to be what it is. Because we break it every single solitary day. We believe that those red lights are necessary, but we don't believe that they apply to us. Because we run them And we fuzz. Oh, well, it was yellow when I went under it. No, it wasn't either. And furthermore, yellow means slow down and begin to stop, not accelerate and try to beat the red. You understand? We know a lot of stuff we don't believe in. And I am afraid that that's fallen over into our walk with God. We know we're more agnostic than we are apostolic. Agnostics wait on him to prove his legitimacy. Apostolics prove him. (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff right there. I like that one. Agnostics wait on God to prove to me that you're really there. The apostolic says, I read it in the Bible. I believe it. I'm convinced of it. So I'm going to act like you're there and I'm going to make you prove it. I'm going to prove you. I'm going to test your word. I'm going to put your word to the test. We get hung up and discouraged on things that God isn't worried about. Oh, well, she, she said. Yes, and she's still going to be saying this time next year because she a gossip. Well, he don't know, and he isn't going to. But what does that got to do with me? Well, I don't think you like me, Brother Barr. I don't care if you like me, Brother Barr. I love you. I mean, you're getting along because you're cooking some junk on the turtle or whatever that thing is. Hallelujah. I done moved on past this morning. (laughs) The green egg or something. And I'm going to eat your cooking whether you like me or not. Because I like your cooking. I've had some of it before and I enjoyed it and I ain't forgot it. I don't forget food. You was injecting some junk down in all that meat you were cooking one time before. And I'm going to eat some of his cooking today whether he likes me or not. 
I'm going to treat Jesus the way I ought to today, whether he behaves differently today than he did yesterday or not. He didn't do a miracle for me yesterday, Brother Shelton. Well, what if he don't do one for me today? What has that got to do with who he is? He is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that I can think or ask. Well, why isn't God doing a miracle for me? Maybe he knows you don't need one as bad as you think you do. And maybe God's waiting on me to get up and speak life into it and release anointing into it and cause it to happen as opposed to making him do it all. He's given us power to tread on surface. When was the last time any of us went out snake hunting and found something to walk on? Oh, well, I ain't. I, but I think one of the worst things that was ever said to us was, I ain't a devil chaser. <laughs> you got a snake in the hen house, you better go to looking for it. If there's a snake in there eating your little chicken eggs, you better go through there and turn the little chicken nest over and tear the coop down to the ground to find whatever it is that's in the hen house eating everything you're trying to work for. And we, again, we've gotten so addicted to our sophistication that we want to come in here and be all polished and everything. Whatever. None of that's going to matter on rapture day. And none of that mattered on the day that I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you, and I know some people say, I'll tell you everything they were saying and singing and preaching on that. I can't tell you none of that. The only thing that I can remember is the day I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what I felt like as a nine-year-old child moments before I received it and immediately after I received it and what my life has been like since then. I don't remember all the other things around that night. I don't remember what the preacher preached. I think I know who was there. But what I really know is what I got from God. And my response to God is not based on my relationship with people. My response to God is based on my relationship with God. And if that's where it ought to be, then my behavior and my public display of affection toward Him is probably going to make you uncomfortable and nervous. Well, we don't believe in public displays of affection. They do at Shelton House. (laughs) My little children watch me kiss all over their mama. I'll kiss her right in front of them. Oh, well, that's just... Uh Uh-uh. I want my little children to know that a husband ought to kiss his wife. Oh, I ain't got but one apostolic in the whole building back there. I want them to know that a husband ought to kiss his wife. And I want them to understand that the relationship between a husband and a wife is one where affection is shown so that they don't end up in an abusive relationship. I want them to know that a man ought to treat his wife with respect and honor and dignity so that they don't let somebody abuse them. God's been good to me and because he's been good to me and I've watched him be good to my mama and I watched him be good to my grandmama and I watched them be good back to him. There's something in me that said this is what a healthy relationship between the creator and the creation ought to look like. 
I ought to love on him and he'll love on me. I ought to give him my all and he'll give me his all. If I want this relationship to be like it ought to be, I'm going to go back and do it like my mama did and my grandmama did and everybody else I've ever watched. My mama prays to this day in her mid-70s. Pain all in her body from arthritis and scoliosis in her backbone and crippled up fingers with arthritis. But my mama is down at the garage sale Thursday, Friday, and Saturday raising money for the ladies group because they've got a project going on at the church. And I drove by and saw her the other morning before I came to get on my plane. And I looked out there and sitting in that hot, humid heat was my mama and a bunch of other 70 and 80 year old women running the garage sale while all the young people were out running the street and I got to thinking about it this is what's got them in the kingdom this is why they're still in the kingdom and this is why God's been good to them because they've always put him first my mama can't even stand up straight but she'll be at that church every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock or actually about 9.25 or 9.30 and she's already made the rounds and picked up a bunch of other elderly ladies who don't drive or have a car and can't afford one. So my mama keeps a good nice car. My daddy takes care of that and she's driving it. My mama likes a nice new car for one reason and one reason only. She won't buy a con- an economy car. She don't want some small vehicle. She wants something that's got four doors on it and a full back seat. Why? Because in that kind of a car, I can pick up four passengers and bring them to the house of God. She is 74 years old and still bringing people to the house of God. She walks like this half the time because her back's all messed up. Her fingers aren't straight at the end. They curl, they turn. Just riddled with arthritis. But there's not going to be a church service my mama's not in. And my mama's not going to let somebody else worship for her when she gets there. She can't clap using her fingers, so she uses her palms of her hands. And she can't clap loud, so she claps long. God deserves all she's got. And long after everybody else is done, Betty Shelton's still sitting there clapping her palms together. Getting on people's nerves. I'll admit it, there have been times that it got on my nerves. And just praying and talking in tongues, magnifying you, Jesus. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I magnify you today. Lord, you've been so good to me. Says a woman who's standing like this with crippled up fingers. Lord, you've been good to me. Thank you for the fact you're going to save my husband. Thank you for the fact you're going to bring my daughter and my son-in-law home. You're going to bring my son back into the kingdom. Thank you for my grandchildren that are going to receive the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, you've been good to me. Mama don't know they're taking the offering. Mama don't know that song service is over because she wasn't depending on them to get her in contact with God in the first place.
So I'm not apologizing for how I feel like a relationship ought to be between us and him. I watched my mother have a good relationship with him for nearly 50 years. I've watched my grandmama do it for just about that long until God took her home. I watched her go through quadruple bypass and then have a stroke and lay up for two years before God took her. And not one time did a negative word come out of her mouth. Not one time did she get mad at God. Not one time did she blame God. And I look at us in this generation we live in now, and if God don't do some hair-raising stunt during a church service, the first thing we want to know is what's wrong with our church? What's wrong with our God? If God was really all of that, how come He isn't doing it? Because He's waiting on us to give Him something to respond to. Do you realize the infilling of the Holy Ghost was not forced on us? It was God's response to our behavior, to the revelation we got that I need His Spirit. I need to be baptized. I need to speak in tongues. I need to change my life. And because we had that attitude, God looked at it and said, Now, I've got a natural behavior that I can respond to supernaturally. And that principle has never left us. It is still the abiding foundational principle between us and Him. We have got to do something natural so God can do something supernatural. If I worship... He reveals Himself. Worship is my response to what I understand about His identity. He is the great I Am. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And some of you have walked through some dark places and found that to be true. But it's not enough that I've walked through some dark places and found it to be true. I've got to live that revelation in front of you, Samantha, so when your dark times come, you can look at it and say, no, I've had a natural example. I saw what the natural response to God ought to be. And I know that God brought that man through or that woman through. So I'm going to conduct myself the way the bride ought to. I'm going to love him until he reveals himself or if he don't. We're waiting on this great harvest. But there's a natural measure of obedience that's got to precede it. The harvest doesn't take place out there. The harvest takes place in here or in a cell group meeting or a home group meeting or a care group or whatever we call them. The harvest will take place where one or two are gathered together in His name. Bringing the harvest in takes place out there. God alone is able to convert someone. Brother Barr, my job is to get their faith built to the place that they're willing to let this unseen God do a supernatural work in their life that they don't fully understand, but they see the need for. We're waiting on God to bring this great harvest. He ain't, 
He's waiting on us to go. My house is full. My fields are empty. We're waiting on God to heal the sick. We're waiting on testimonies of miraculous things that happen in a church. But this morning when those who needed a touch from God raised their hands, how many of us got up and walked over halfway across the building or all the way across and laid hands on somebody because you know Him. I've seen God respond to this before. I've seen God respond to somebody's faith before. You understand what I'm telling you? We're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. We're waiting on God to pull some rabbit out of the hat. He's waiting on us to bring the hat. Give me something to work with. Is heaven's cry to the church. Just give me some glimmer that you believe I am the I am. Just give me some indication that you really do believe I rolled the Red Sea back and let my people cross over. If you believe I did it for them and you'll put me to the task like they did, I'll do it for you. But he's not going to violate our faith and our preference. And I am convinced that some of us love dead church so much, we don't want him to change it. And if that wasn't true, then why don't we do something to make it lively? We need a word. Really? Oh, God, just give me a word. I need a word. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of Israel, Joshua, Joshua spoke on this day that they had had a great victory. Joshua spoke and Joshua said, he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand thou upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Alavon, Alalon, Ion, something. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not, is not this written in the book of Jashir? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that day before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. Never before had a man commanded God to make the universe that he set in motion stop moving. Never before had a man been so desperate. Oh yeah, Moses had his hands up and God stilled the sun for a little while. But never before, according to that passage, had a man ever told God, here's what you're going to do for me and your people while we finish this battle. Never before and never since. My question is, why? Who are we to tell God what to do? Verse number 12. Joshua was such a man that he was desperate. And he realized the only hope I got is Jesus. And if God can't save us today, 
we probably not going home to our families after this battle's over with. And Joshua, in his desperation and passionate belief in God, gave God his petition in the form of a charge. I need you to make that sun and that moon and everything revolving around it to stand still for such a time as we need to defeat your enemies. And I wonder what would happen. Why has it never happened since then? I wonder if the reason the scripture doesn't say it will never happen again. It just indicts us that it has never happened again. It's an indictment to you and I. When was the last time we truly understood who we are? When was the last time we truly understood who he is? When was the last time we truly understood what that relationship between us and him was all about? To the point that our prayer life became more than a woe is me. It became more than, oh God, help me. Oh God, please. An old prophet was on a plane leaving Cutter. And he said, the wing out there, the motor, the engine out there on the wing caught on fire. Pandemonium, as you would naturally expect, swept through that plane. And everybody was panicked and everybody was upset. Finally, he stood up. I think he was sitting in first class. He stood up, turned around, raised his hands. He said, hey, what's the problem? That fire is about to go out. I'm the prophet. And God's given me a word for a family in the airport back in Cutter. I need to go back and that's the only way to get back. Now y'all sit down and stop all this chaos. This plane ain't going down. I'm on board. And I've got a word for a family waiting in that airport. That plane turned. Those people sat down. The fire went out. When that plane landed, a man came to him and said, Are you prophet so-and-so? He said, I'm matter of fact, I am. He said, My family has got some understanding about who God is, and we need you. And in a little while, if I understood him right, 50 people had received the Holy Ghost in an airport because he knew who he was. If we're going to be involved in spiritual warfare, you're going to have to look the devil in the face and tell him, Hey, Sparky, sit down over there and pipe down. Pump the brakes on all that. You are not in charge. I'm in charge here. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm part of the bride. I'm in charge here, not you. But we'll never tell a devil that until we tell ourselves that in the mirror every day. Hey, quit feeling sorry for yourself. You're a child of the king. Quit being depressed. You're a child of the king. If you don't mind me saying something, Sister Richards, you've been through more tragedy and heartache than just about anybody I know, but you're on your feet with your hands in the air because you know who He is. He is a loving Father. He is the El Shaddai. He is. He 
trusted her to go through what she went through. He trusted her to stand here on this Sunday morning and tell the rest of us, don't turn loose of God. No matter how much sorrow you go through, God will see you through. He don't have to do a miracle for me. I lie. I got you. He don't have to do something for me this morning, Sister Richards. I got you. Brother Richards, you've been through some stuff. You've had a stroke. You're not the man you were physically, but you're still here. And all morning I've watched you and the Holy Ghost on you and talking in tongues under your breath. You may not run the aisles, but open your mouth and let us hear you proclaim he is worthy. Some of you young people that hadn't walked where they've walked, you ought to start sitting around them in church. You ought to get as close to them as you can so whatever they've got rubs off and gets in your spirit. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody in here under 40 years old, listen to me. Quit sitting in your little youth groups. Quit sitting around people in your age group. Oh, well, I like to be on the front row. Fine. Sit up there once in a while. But every now and then, some of you ought to go back and sit by Sister Singletary. Some of you ought to go back and sit by Brother Savage. Some of you ought to sit by this couple or by that couple or by that sister or that brother. Why? Because they've been through some stuff that you hadn't been through yet. And if you want to make it through when you get there, you better have something on the inside of you when that day comes. You young people, stop waiting on God to move on you before you dance. You need to dance for your elders. They can't do it anymore. Maybe their body won't let them. So you ought to go back and tell Brother Richards, hey, these five laps are for you because there was a day when you could, you did, but you can't now and I will. Some of you ladies ought to tell Sister Singletary, I'm going to worship for you today. I'm going to do it in your place today. Because when I was a baby, you were on the front line. When I was unborn, you were preaching the gospel. You lost a daughter-in-law. You lost a daughter but you're both still here. You ought to be around these men and get close to them and say, you know what? I don't know how you went through the anguish you went through losing a child the way you did, but whatever got you through it, I need it in me. I need it. Said you're feeling sorry for ourselves when there's indictments all around us that it doesn't matter what you go through. God is still God. It don't matter what you go through. He's still worthy of all we've got to give Him. I wish somebody would get on your feet for a minute.
You ought to make your way by some of these elders sitting among us during the church service. I don't care what little special song they might be singing. I don't care if the offering's being received. You ought to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost every time you come in here. And when you walk into the front to bring your little offering to the kingdom, and you walk by that elder brother or that elder sister or that family, and that something resonates with you and you feel something in your spirit, stop and lift your hands and ask them, I need you to lay your hand on my head right this minute and impart something into me. Why, Brother Shelton? Because we're sick and tired of predictable church. We're sick and tired of predictable walks with God and predictable relationships. I want something extraordinary to happen. And if it's going to happen in me, I've got to give God something to work with. If God's going to do a work in me, I've got to give Him something to work with. I've got to say to Him, Here I am! Here I am! I need you! I think sometimes one of our biggest hindrances, Brother Barr, is we don't really believe we need him. And I believe that's a direct result because we don't truly know him. I knew an old lady that was a millionaire many, many times over. She walked in a furniture store in a city she didn't even live in. Now, in the city she lived in, she was the cat's meow. She walks in this furniture store in a different city, looks at some very expensive furniture to put in the house she owned. I want all that today, and this is how much I'm going to give you for it. And the guy looked at her. He said, ma'am, I ain't selling you that for that. You know what her response was? Do you know who I am? Don't you know who you're talking to, boy? He said, no, ma'am, and I don't care who you are. She had no clue that 50 or 75 miles away from the town where she was the queen bee, she had no clue everybody in the world didn't know who she was. And when she left there, she bought that furniture for what she said she would pay for it because she knew he needed the money worse than she needed the furniture. And I am waiting on the day that you and I get that same attitude. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Quit knocking timidly on the gate and saying, hey, we need some resources. Hey, we need a little money. Hey, we've got a vision that requires a hundred million dollars. Could you loan us some? If you've been around here for more than 30 minutes, you've heard Bishop or Pastor talk about the hundred million dollars that God told Bishop about. We've got to quit timidly asking for help. We've got to quit timidly giving our two dollars in the offering when we could have given a hundred. Well, you know, I, I need that for this and I need that and I'd like to do this. So I've got this two dollars here and I'm going to put that in the offering. What you've just done is relegated God to an agnostic place in your life. Because I didn't give all I had, God has no reason to involve himself supernaturally in my life as the provider. Jehovah Jireh. If our worship...
conflicted with our doctor's instructions. We would put God in a position to do something about our physical condition. But because I don't, Brother Bray, if the doctor says to me, Scott, your knee's in bad shape, you, you got to go easy on that thing. Don't be jumping and running and carrying on. And I come to church and use my knee as an example or an excuse, rather, to just do the minimums during church. I can forget getting in the prayer line and ever getting a miracle from heaven. But I can say I'm going to make the decision today and choose the report I'm going to believe. And the report that I'm going to believe is that he is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that I can think or ask. And whether he does it or not, my behavior toward him is still going to be the same. I am going to worship physically like there's nothing wrong with me and give God something to work with if healing me is his desire. Our behavior toward Him is eternally significant for us. If my behavior to Him had been to reject the new birth, I would have been lost. If my behavior to Him now is to still reject the new birth, just because I've already experienced it, if I reject all that goes along with being a blood-bought child of God, it's the same as me rejecting it when I hear it for the first time and saying I don't want it. I'm now saying I still don't want it. I got it, but I'd just as soon let it go. I said as a young man, probably in my late teens, on that side of a church, go ahead and play melodiously now so they'll know that you're playing. That don't mean nothing to what I'm doing. <laughs> I was sitting way over on that side of a church, and I was on the second row on the end pew, of the pew there, and this young girl, she, she had mental challenges and um, somebody could, could breathe loud. And, and boy, she'd jump up off that front row and she'd go to twirling and jumping and flipping and carrying on and jabbering. And, and I don't know if she was, I don't know if she had the mental capacity to receive the Holy Ghost or not. I don't know. But I know there was something extraordinary going on with her. And as a 17, 16, 17-year-old kid, I sat there and began to mock her in my own mind and in my own private thoughts. And I thought, dear God, would you sit down for crying out loud? All they're doing is making announcements. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, the difference between you and her is, I know which one of you loves me. You don't. If you did, you'd act just like her. The difference between her and me was she didn't have the mental facilities or faculties to imprison her to her surrounding. She lived devoid of the opinions of people around her. She lived free of what you thought of her. It didn't matter. Well, what if I don't want people to see me some relic of what I used to be. That's not what we see. What I see is what's been strong from your youth now to your old age. And that's your relationship with God. And regardless of how you demonstrate it, you are still doing everything you can to let God know, I love you and you alone more than all others. I think we are prisoners 
to the opinions of other people. But I think we're prisoners. More than that, we are locked in the prisons of our own arrogance and pride. We don't want to dance and twirl. Brother Fowler, one of the things I've always respected about you is your worship. You've, you have, I'm begging you, don't. I don't know what all you're involved with here. I know some of it. But don't let all of that dominate your worship. If this platform's not sufficient for you to worship the way you're accustomed to worshiping, let somebody else have your chair for a half hour or two. And get down here in this floor because there's some young people that haven't had to walk where you've had to walk yet. And not only do we need you teaching us things that we need to be taught, but I need you to demonstrate when my two little girls are here, I need them to see my kids, my kids, this, this will get you maybe, but my kids like to come here because it's one of the few places in the world where children are allowed to come around the front of an apostolic church and worship. And if you ever make that unpopular or unwelcomed, I'm not coming back and bringing my kids. I'm going to go find somewhere else to take my children and show them what apostolic worship looks like. You, you better, if you want me to keep bringing my kids up here and for them to understand what this is to us as a family, you better keep that worship alive and you better keep that apostolic conduct alive here at Antioch. I don't care how good we get at what we do. It will never be more important than what we have with Him. I, don't, don't you ever outgrow. I don't care how old you are. Don't you ever get to the place where you can sit through a church service and not go into that deep travailing tongue that I've watched you have since you were that tall. Don't you ever get comfortable leaving a church service and never feeling God. Everything that you are in the kingdom and that you're supposed to be is hinged on your relationship with Him. All of you. Don't you ever let a church service pass you by that you haven't moved into a place with God. Whether He pulled you there or not, in the issue, go! We're waiting on God to draw us into some place. Why don't we draw God here Then they, which I, I preached nine and a half months in this church and read this one scripture every service. Then they which feared the Lord spake often one to another and the Lord heard it and hearkened unto them. Where's God? Where people are talking about Him. Where's God? Where people are remembering how good God's been to them. Where's God in our home groups, in our care groups, when we sit around and talk about not what God used to do, but who God still is? They which feared the Lord spake often one to another. In other words, Brother Evans, when you get around people, if they don't want to ever talk to you about God, cut them off. You've been through some junk. You've been here a long time and you're still here. Not going to sell that out by history. He isn't selling his history out for somebody who don't love God. Are you? Huh. I just don't have anything in common with that person.
you and I have never spoken in all the years I've been coming around here and you were here long before I ever showed up. You and I have never had one 30-minute conversation that I know of at all. I don't know him well enough to have a lot in common with him. But what I know about him, I have a lot in common with. We have the same father. And the same father has been good to both of us. And even though he brought me out of some stuff and him out of some other stuff, he brought us both out into the same thing. I don't have to have anything in common with you save Christ and him crucified. And if you and I will just get in the same place and start talking about what we have in common, God will always hearken to us. I want you to everybody stand to your feet. I want you to look around this sanctuary and go find somebody to join yourself to and bring them to this altar. Stay at the pew. It don't matter to me where you do it. But not somebody that's right beside you. Break away from where you are and go get with somebody and tell them, you know what? We don't sit together in church. We don't go out to eat together. We don't have a lot in common naturally. But what we have in common is God. And I want to join my spirit to yours this morning. Will you pray with me a little while? And let's see what God will do in this sanctuary. Take them by the hand. Bring them to the altar. Pray with them where they are. But let's cry out to him for a little while.
I want to I want to tell you something I want to qualify something that I said when I said that God has no potential to have potential means there are latent qualities or abilities that have yet to be developed and if he's not all God now then he's not God at all. You understand what I'm saying? The potential, Brother Barr, comes and is realized in the more we know of him, the more we understand about who he is. But as far as God is concerned, he is and has always been all God. And there's no way for him to get better. He has no latent Abilities are talents, are gifts that have not yet been realized or developed. The only thing left is for us to realize who and what he really is and manifest that in our lives. And we began to release more of him, but he does not get better. And when you were filled with his spirit, him, you got all of that right then then he said you'll be endued with power after and that's as you grow in grace and knowledge of the word and and learn of him he said search the scriptures learn of me because he knew that the secret to greater anointing in our life was predicated on what we knew of him and then once you find out who he is once you get these revelations about who he is it catapults you into another dimension of apostolic ministry and manifestation of the power of God does that make sense to you the enemy has figured us out he's had plenty of time to do it but he's figured us out that if he can 
make us hurt. I got a hip that feels like somebody has driven a nail through it this morning. And, and just to stand on it hurts. But it doesn't change who God is. I've got a headache. Feels like somebody hit me in the head with a sledgehammer right now. Literally. It doesn't change who God is. And his identity mandates that I have to push past all of my physical pains or my physical restrictions. And at whatever level I am able, I I am required by who he is to exalt him and lift him up. The disciples, when they brought that colt back, the scripture says they set him upon that colt. And in that time in history, it was, it was customary if you were a member of royalty, you didn't put your foot in a stirrup and climb up on a horse like everybody else did. They would bring you a stool, a little ladder, you'd step up on that and then gracefully sit on your horse. They'd bring it like in a loading ramp type deal and you'd just walk over and just sit down on it. Or they would pick you up. Your servants picked you up and set you on that horse. It was a custom. And the scripture says that that day they set him upon that colt. For the first time, he had, he had ridden into numerous cities before this with them. Walked into city after city after city with them. And he had always been equal to them. But today, they set him. They, they performed an act that was customary, merely reflective of their culture that said, this is a man of royalty. This is a king. And when they treated him like a king, an entire city that didn't even know who he was did the same thing. They threw their garments in the street. They threw leaves in the street. Who is this guy coming here? I don't know who this guy is. But he's royalty. And they bowed in the street before him. They they treated him like the king he was for the first time in his earthly ministry because those who knew him finally treated him like a king. If I be lifted up, he said. If I'm lifted up, yes, I know that you can type in shadow stuff to death. I know that we've preached that being the cross and that without him being raised up on the cross, nobody would have a chance at this salvation we have. But I don't believe it stops at the cross. I don't believe that our lifting him up ended when they lifted him up. I believe it is something that's perpetual and that we are responsible to continue to do every single day. If I'll lift him up and treat him like the God and the King that he is, it'll cause my neighbors to look at him differently. My neighbors will start coming to me and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for my family. I need help. And it's all about how I treat him. We got to get over this fixation we have about all the stuff God can do for us. Oh, God, draw us into your presence. Uh Uh-uh. We're not going to leave him a choice today. We're going to draw him into this sanctuary. We're going to give him something he cannot walk past. Today, we're going to open our spirit and give him everything we've got. 
and draw him into this atmosphere. There's one verse of scripture in the Old Testament that says, Praise awaits you, O God, in Sion. S-I-O-N. And that word Sion means dry place. Even in the dry place, praise is waiting on him. No matter what I'm going through, when you get here, Jesus, you may not get here on the day I want you here, but when you do show up, it's going to be a, a place of praise. Whether I feel you or not, I'm going to still be doing what I need to do to draw you here. I don't want him for the Breckenridge to pass me by. I don't want him to walk through this neighborhood I live in and be able to walk past my house and not stop. I don't want him in the church service and be able to touch everybody else in the building and ignore me. Uh-uh. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The scripture says Jesus would have passed him by, but he cried out the more. That widow woman, Jesus didn't go there looking for her. There was an encounter destined to happen, but Jesus wasn't looking for her. She was looking for him. You understand what I'm telling you? I know he'll come find you. I get it. If I make my bed in hell, I get that. But this is, this is a relationship and no relationship is healthy or long lasting if it's one sided. Early will I seek him, the scripture says. Knock, seek, ask. And that woman with an issue of blood, he didn't know her. He didn't go there looking for her. She went there looking for him. And she got what she would not have gotten had she not been on the hunt. I've killed a lot of deer in my life and even more squirrels. And I ain't never shot one deer or one squirrel that I wasn't looking for. I ain't never shot one laying in the bed. And I have mowed them down sitting on a deer stand. Hallelujah. Pray my strength and help in the Lord. I'm going to do it again this winter. All you animal rights people, they got a right to run. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> but I'm going to get you. I'm going to get them. Lord, now I've done everything I know to do this morning. I have said everything that you have put in my mouth and spirit to say. And Lord, to the very best of my ability to discern it, these beautiful people have responded to you. <clears throat> and Lord, it's not a one day or a one service response. It's a season change in us and our conduct and our behavior. Thank you for reminding me this morning who you are. Thank you for reminding me this morning of my responsibilities and obligations to this relationship. Lord, stir me every day with remembrance. Help me to remember that whatever this relationship is going to be, it's going to demand my equal participation in it. Lord, I pray angels to encamp around about each and every person that has received your word this morning. And that they will guard and seal that word in our spirits so that the enemy cannot pluck it out before it takes root. And I pray, Lord, that this word will begin to take root and grow and spring up and produce fruit in our life for generations to come. In Jesus' name, for the glory of the kingdom and the elevation of your name, let it be so in Jesus' name. If you
have received anything from the Lord that you're going to protect and allow it to grow, would you just clap your hands unto him? Give him one more round of applause. Who wants this? Well, <clears throat> nobody's coming to get this mic. So here's what I'm going to tell you. You are released to leave this building, but you are in no wise released to leave his presence. Stay in his presence throughout the day and come back here in just a little while. Let's see what else we can get into together, would you? Go in Jesus' name. <clears throat>